Hey everyone, welcome to Office Hours. First one at my new studio here at SoFi Stadium. I'm so excited about our office studio and suite here. We are so excited to have a sport that uh, has a close tie to me. Um, Jeff Webb is the president of the International Cheer Union, which we'll talk about cheerleading and where it's come and where it's going. And the founder, of course, of Varsity Spirit, which is a love-hate relationship for me because I love what it's provided for my family, my three daughters who are all uh, varsity cheerleaders. And uh, I was just teasing Jeff as I had the first time I met him that what a great business cheerleading is. Uh, you know, if I was going to pick a sport that I want to run, absolutely. Cheerleading is it. What a great business. And welcome, of course, uh, to Office Hours, the entrepreneurial show with the great entrepreneur. Thank you. Jeff, you know, wh what a great business. And, you know, I am uh, a huge fan of cheerleading for what it's done, character, discipline, uh, fitness-wise, especially with esports and the pandemic and all the things, you know, that have provided to my family and well worth the money, by the way. I know That's it's great. Uh, well, that's, that's great to hear. It's great to hear. That's, uh, look, all, all, uh, all youth sports are, you know, they're, they're pretty expensive. Um, but I'm not going to lie. My kids were, I think I mentioned it last morning, my kids Grew up in uh, very competitive soccer, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, yeah. You know, what you hope that is that you that you get enough out of it that it does have the kind of effect you're talking about. So thank you for your kind words. Yeah, and you've done you know such an incredible job also to recognize cheerleading as a sport uh, all the way to the Olympics now, which you know I've played a part in you know bringing rugby to the Olympics, uh, right. sit on the Olympic board myself uh, with USA shooting. Um, in just a variety of ways. So, you know, let's take us back because you've been doing this for, you know, 40 some years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you know, in the context of equity, you know, talk to everyone through because a lot of people may not know what people's perception of cheerleading was when you started varsity and where it's come today as far as uh, recognized as one of, you know, the better sports, especially for women and men. Yeah. Well, you know, when I started, I mean, I was a cheerleader at the University of Oklahoma and uh, when I graduated from college, I was getting ready to go to law school. And I said, ah, you know, I really like this cheerleading stuff. And we'd started experimenting with some uh, some some uh, what we call stunts, you know, the different lifts and so on. I said, you know, I think you could take what's uh, this this uh, this leadership activity and I think you could really add a lot of this athleticism and make it entertaining and uh, kind of transform it. And uh, I developed some, some techniques and kind of a curriculum. So literally put together a little company, raise a little money from friends and family and uh, set up the first world headquarters in Memphis, Tennessee, which was the second bedroom of my apartment, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, hired college cheerleaders that I knew. And we went out and started doing these clinics and camps to teach them kind of all these new stunts that uh, hadn't really been done. And uh, eventually uh, that was successful. We made money the first year. I think it was something like a dollar and a half, something <laughs> like that. And, uh, but uh, the company was, uh, was off and running and four or five years later, we got into the uniform business and then expanded. We kind of came up with the idea of the modern day cheerleading competition and lucky enough to get it on television. And uh, eventually with ESPN, I, I don't know if I told you this or not last time, but uh, we're ESPN's oldest, uh, um, longest running broadcast partner. We were there wow. before the NFL and college football. I think it was us and 
you know, billiards and alligator wrestling or something when we started. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're still doing that. So we, you know, we, we, we took those three things, the educational part of it with the camps, the, the uniforms and the competitions. And that became kind of, those became kind of the three legs of the stool that built the franchise over the next 30 years. It's unbelievable. So did you have a gymnastic background? Cause how did you make that transition? Cause I'll be honest <laughs> with you in Australia, the cheerleading thing is not like America, how you've made such a great pivot. I mean, Australian sports just aren't like American sports. Like, I love this country because of the sporting, the colleges, yeah. and, and, and the passion that goes in it. How did you do I mean, that, there's so much gymnastics and technique yeah. to it. Do you have any background yeah. in gymnastics? Uh, I was kind of a backyard gymnast. You know, I did some trampoline when I was younger. But, uh, you know, just kind of uh, when I was doing it in college, I really got a feel for it. And I just I felt like. For some reason, to me, it was intriguing to try to figure out how you would how you would do a different type of lift and what the look would be like. And then you had everybody synchronize it together and it came off with this cool, you know, visual. And it just it just was kind of in my blood, I guess, my DNA, if you will. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover with, um, you know, some of the gymnastic skills. And in fact, as we were kind of launching our international federation and uh, applying for membership at Sport Accord or IOC, we had to have a pretty good negotiation with gymnastics to make sure that we had separation, and uh, we, were, we were able to do that. But it was, uh, it was, a, it was, a, it was a long road. And, you know, obviously, we both hold the journey of gender equity, and you know, I was a college football player, and right. you know, it was a different world in 1986, uh, even to have male cheerleaders, and cheerleading yep. was different you know, 30 some years ago than it is today. I think one of the things that have had a great impact on gender equity in athleticism, even more than gymnastics is cheerleading. Uh, I think, you know, as we grew up in the TV exposure that the cheerleading had and the football sidelines had uh, with male and female cheerleaders yeah. working together with extreme athleticism you know i can't tell you how many basketball and football games i've been to and literally i'm like are you kidding me like i would not do that without a net and then my my girls were all tiny like me so they were all flyers yep. and then i'm like you know my kids my my you know family's worried about my kids playing football with a helmet <laughs> and shoulder pads and meanwhile my 95 pound daughter is being thrown yep. 20 feet in the air with yep. three girls catching her uh, uh, you're where so have you seen though, the yeah. gender equity side? Because I'm sure you were teased when you were a college cheerleader. I'm sure there had to be some kind of teasing going on. Uh, at not, the very so much, least. not too much because I was a wrestler too. So I didn't have too much. <laughs> I didn't get too much grief. But was Stacey Wyland one of your friends? Do you know who that is? Uh, Oklahoma no, I don't. Oh, I'll oh, introduce yeah. you. He's younger than you, but he's he's on the Olympic Committee for Wrestling. Uh, was it Oklahoma? Yeah. Ah. Well, tell him, I, tell him the Brees, the Brees brothers were my buddies when we were yeah, there. Yeah, he's friends with them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah, you're right about the kind of the whole gender thing. And you know, when, when we actually started, um, there were no sports, women's sports in high school or college. Really, there were none. And so, kind of cheerleading was uh, became an athletic outlet. Really, so we were out there with all of that before you saw women's basketball on TV and volleyball and all those kind of things. So softball, yeah. yeah. Yeah, even even that. So I don't know. Yeah, we were we were we were out there pretty early, and um, when you look at the number of kids over over my career that have participated, it's in the millions. 
And uh, now with the with the Olympic recognition, I think we're looking at millions more. And what was once kind of this Americana sort of phenomenon is now a global phenomenon and it's going to grow. Uh, you know, I, I, th- I think you're you're aware that, you know, and you were talking about Australia, a good one. Um, in most uh, in most countries, they don't have sports with their schools. You know, they're they're in private clubs. And so on. it's one of the great advantages, by the way, that we have in this country. Some people go, I don't understand why you even have sports in schools. It should just be about learning. I mean, do you think kids don't learn through sports? I mean, we both we know that they do. Right. And it's just given so many kids a chance to, to participate in something that builds character. I'm not talking about just cheerleading any sport, but um, but now I think um, uh, we're going to be able to do this around the world. And many of these countries need recognition of a sport in order to get from their governments facilities and equipment and coaching and so on. So whether we get in the games anytime soon or not, it is a huge it's a huge um uh, event for cheerleading because it is going to help it grow all over the world, which is what the really objective has been. Here's a question. So because it's through the colleges, can kids get scholarships to become cheerleaders like in other sports? Yeah, it varies. There aren't a lot of scholarships at kind of the, some of the bigger schools are able to, to help to some extent, but um, you know, most of these kids that do this, at the college level, high school level in particular, cheerleading is kind of a hybrid. You know, it's it's got the sport and the competitive aspect, but it's also got all the leadership things. You know, the ability to 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 be in the community and bring the community in around the school and to do the things on campus that help build participation and camaraderie, and that's really important to most of them as well. And what many of them will tell you is when they look back at me, yeah, maybe the competing was great, but also the chance to be out there and, and uh, mingling with uh, influential alumni and being in a leadership position had a big impact on their ability to succeed as they, as they went forward. Yeah. Great so, team building and community. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. And spirit. Right. So like yeah. they're, you know, being around so many young women who have participated in varsity spirit, it's a different community. Uh, and, you know, all kidding aside, I, it, you know, really formed, you know, my daughters are extremely passionate and purposeful people and spirited. You know, they, they're full of positive energy and, and they're not afraid to express it. And I know, Michael, you've met my, my girls as well. Um, I know that I, I, by anything I've done from graduate school, undergrad, and the success that I have happened because of playing football, right? And I learned way more. I'm an academic intellect well-educated human being, but I learned far more on the football field to make me successful. And I can see the same thing watching uh, my girls participate in a spirited competition in the spirit of, you know, I always thought it was funny that you weren't varsity cheer. It was varsity spirit. And how important was the education of spirit, you know, of connecting to inspiration because I don't think there's anything more inspirational than a cheerleader uh, someone that can not only be spirited themselves, but bring the best out of other people, the players and the fans. That's what they really do through performance and vocalization. Uh, yeah. How important was that idea, you know, of spirit when you started it of more than just athleticism? Yeah. Well, from the very beginning, I, I was very careful to tell people that we weren't trying to um, we weren't we weren't trying to transform cheerleading to the point where the athleticism was replacing the leadership aspect 
we wanted it to be additive. And, um, you know, we fought really hard to keep both things. There are a lot of people that want it just to be the sport. And there's some that just want the leadership. And for us, it's like, let's put it all together. You know, we, we can do both. We can be different. We don't have to be put in a box somewhere. And, um, you know, worked out pretty well. Yeah, really well. Well, I certainly am proud where you're at. And if you need any help from us, you know, I'm not only a huge fan, but have a lot invested in making sure you're successful uh, at an international level. I think we need men and women uh, more of what you represent with the International uh, Cheerleaders Association and all that you've done with Varsity Spirit as well. Uh, where can people reach you today uh, to support what you're doing? Uh, well, at the International Cheer, Cheer Union. So it's a Jeff at cheerunion.com. You got it, my friend. I appreciate you. Please reach out to me. Congratulations once again. Uh, Just when I think you're retiring, you're on to a bigger <laughs> and better thing. So great to see you. Thanks great for having me. Best, Thanks, best Jeff. of you guys. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye, buddy. Bye, Bye. What a great guy. That was uh, so funny because he's, he's a cheerleader and a wrestler. You know, in Oklahoma, I got to ask my my good friend, Stacy. It's uh, crazy. I, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that, you know, at, in Oklahoma, the deep south in 19, you know, early 70s, you know, that he wasn't teased. He, he must have been a pretty tough guy that people were like, I'm not telling him. Because uh, we used to tease, uh, you know, my friends that were cheerleaders. <laughs> and then I realized, wait a second, I'm the idiot playing out here with all these sweaty men. And he's the one hanging out with all the pretty girls. So he goes in the air. Right, he's the smart guy now, right? Yeah, idiot. All right. Anyway, welcome to Wednesdays. All right. Dan, the man is in the house. Dan Sanborn, he is here. Chief Marketing Officer of Wheelhouse Group, President of Wheelhouse Labs, wheel-house.com. And want to talk about, we were just talking about spirit. Now we can talk about spirits. <laughs> Uh, which works really well. Uh, well. Welcome to Office Hours, Dan. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to be with you guys. I, I have to tell you, I'm a little thrown by this whole video thing. I was always told I had a face for radio, and, and now I have to stare at my mug for this whole time. So thank you, guys. Oh. Well, you know how they say if you're the smartest <laughs> man in the room, you're in the the wrong room. Well, Luckily for you, you have the prettiest face in this room, so I know I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, pre I appreciate the compliment. I'm told I have a slight resemblance to Lance Bass, so I'll take it. That is good, man. I, I, have, a hey, that's good. I have a slight resemblance to John Lovitz. <laughs> I don't oh see my it. God. I don't <laughs> see it. Mike does. <laughs> Mike, Mike looks like the Tasmanian devil, so we got three pairs here. That's good. There you go. <laughs> Anyway, Let's, take, Let's hey, take this on the road. Yeah, it should be good. <laughs> well, you're the right industry to take it on the road, obviously, with the, some great global brands in the spirit industry. And the spirit industry is one in which I've worked a long time, uh, started my career with Sidney Frank in the spirit side of things with uh, Grey Goose and Jägermeister. And talk about a culture and a community. Uh, it's more than just a, a brand and a product. You know, we have seen that through the historical side and now Wheelhouse Entertainment, uh, you know, the, the, the Wheelhouse Group itself uh, has really formulated all the aspects of the spirit industry. And Wheelhouse Labs uh, is, of course, uh, right there. You guys are leading the way culturally. What are some of the things today that you're doing uh, with our culture, diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, all types of different programs that you're implementing 
using you know this great industry that you work in yeah well i i think i think for starters um by the way sydney frank talk about an entrepreneur and the, <laughs> and the certainly the spirit um that he had unbelievable um and and the pun intended for sure but just to take a step back um obviously 16 year career at diageo had a remarkable time working in their culture and partnership group there and as you can imagine in a business like the spirits industry, diversity and ensuring that your business represents the consumer that you're trying to serve is so critically important. Following a 16 year uh, run there, I had always had a desire to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. And while at Diageo, had the opportunity to really see the cross section of entertainment, investment, and really how to integrate your brand and culture in a relevant way. And as I started to look for sort of my second act, uh, I was introduced, introduced to our founder, Brent Montgomery, by, by Jimmy Kimmel, and, and an opportunity to really come into a new business that was doing things differently. And Wheelhouse is, is three things under one roof. You've got our entertainment arm. We create scripted, unscripted shows across uh, streamers, linear, the whole bit, digital, brands, uh, and marketing from Wheelhouse Labs, which is what I look after. And then, of course, uh, venture investment through Wheelhouse 360, really looking at early stage and mid-stage brands that we believe would benefit from the types of marketing we do or the types of shows we create. When you talk about diversity and you talk about inclusion, if you're making shows these days or you're looking uh, at investments in brands, it is critical to ensure that you are representing the diverse consumer base or the audiences that you're trying to hit. So central to what we're doing at Wheelhouse uh, is really ensuring that the way we cast our shows the way we think about the brands and the staff that we have uh, are diverse to the populations that we're trying to, to reach. I was fortunate enough uh, through my work with Diageo just recently uh, partnered with a long time and Aaron Harris Diageo what will be a joint venture called Pronghorn as well, where we will be investing uh, in black owned and founder led brands as a way of furthering the diversity and representation within the spirits business. And Wheelhouse will, of course, be a part of that as well. And so, so to start off, just a critical part of everything we're doing in the business and entertainment landscape. Oh, man, I got to introduce you to Harlem Standard. They're my favorite. Uh, straight out of Harlem, one of the the, the best. So we got we to gotta get you involved with them. But go ahead, Mikey. Yeah, no, I'm blown away at how, how you've done that, especially with the, the production, because I was in the, the bar business for years. And I used to, you know, butt heads with them not, you know, a lot of companies not wanting to do like great events. I used to put on these massive celebrity events, uh, live performances in on the smaller stages. And I used to battle with a lot of this stuff. But I think it's brilliant how you've just opened up your mind to to diversify, especially with TV stuff. So what kind of TV shows have you done? I'm interested in and what kind of TV shows are in production right now with what you guys are doing to in the diversity market? Well, I, I, obviously, I, I look after specifically the the wheelhouse labs business, but but I and I won't be able to get into some of the great productions that we have in development. Made a commitment to keep all of our employees uh, employed during that time. And we had long had a view and a, and a, and a desire um, to create a digital and audio practice, right? Obviously with these young creators that are becoming uh, so important. And during, during COVID, we launched what is called Wheelhouse D360, 
DNA, which is our digital and audio business, where we manage young up and coming digital creators, uh, as well as launching uh, podcasts. Proud to say that we've got uh, two of the, the top podcasts on Spotify uh, right now. But as part of that, and to, to the heart of your question, we, we partnered with the, the kids from Hype House um, and including, and we now manage Nikita Dragon and are actually doing a show in, in concert uh, with Netflix that will really almost be like a modern day real world as we document, you know, the life inside of these houses. And as you can imagine, you know, with, with, with the diversity that we're seeing in this country, uh, a lot of it represented um, in the kids, whether they'd be coming across TikTok where they'd be coming across, obviously, YouTube, and we've seen that explosion. And so we've got a lot of content coming from that space with rich, uh, diverse backgrounds. That's amazing. It is. And so, you know, looking at this, you know, blossoming area of influence, uh, of young influencers, content creators, you know, you have worked within the context of traditional, uh, you know, for so long with the Diageo uh I find it difficult for executives like yourself to transition over to even fathom the strength of the signal of these young influencers and to create the correct content. Uh, you know, it seems to be a separation and I've, you know, been blessed to have my own children, which I've delved deeply into the emotional aspect of why they like certain things, you know, that are completely divergent for what I think would work uh, to understand that. What have you done to acclimate yourself to staying on point. You know, when you're talking about a very big multi-billion dollar industry that's very traditional in its distribution, marketing, and advertising, uh, to go ahead and align it with is a completely new framework and frequency in advertising and marketing and influence. Well, I, I've been fortunate and blessed throughout my career to be surrounded by intellectually curious people. And I think that when you have that curiosity, you're constantly looking past the horizon line, right? Because the world changes, it moves so fast. And so from my time at Diageo, I mean, I, I, I formed the culture and partnerships team, I, I think 2007, when you saw the relationship between driver and fan, that was my first sort of exposure to, to influencer marketing, right? And so since then, a constant thirst for, for, for what's next and, and what's coming. And thankfully my partners, you know, from Brent Montgomery down share that curiosity, but it doesn't take uh, anyone that's not getting acclimated right now. They're expecting for 2021, 33% growth in spending on influencer uh, or create marketing with creators. When you think about that, that represents 3.6 billion in spend. So if you're not constantly figuring out a way to reinvent and remodel, you're going to get your remodel. You're going to get lost. Just think about a year ago. Have any of us heard of Clubhouse, right? And you just think, you know, the the thought of even Gold Belly, um, you know, uh, being able to order pizza from my friend Chris Bianco in, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, you know, a year ago the thought wouldn't have even crossed your mind. And so I think you have to constantly be front-footed and understand what is interesting, exciting, attracting audiences. And I think what we've seen with creators in this space, it's a no-brainer for us to understand um, and how to work with them. And that was really the impetus for building DNA uh, within Wheelhouse. You were with Diageo for so long, and a lot of people that were with the company for 16 years can get stuck. What do you, what do you do to stay? Because you're very forward-thinking, you're very current, it, do you, who are your mentors? Like, how do you keep 
so so chopped in because you had a safe job for 16 years. You had to really, you know, make a really big jump. What keeps you going like that? I, I, I think that, you know, we all have those little voices in our head that are pushing and uh, that corner. For me, the, the impetus to jump uh, and leave Diageo, because I was ha had an amazing career and it's an amazing I had saying, can you do something of a multinational? Um, I had something uh, something to prove to myself. And I think that chip on my shoulder um, that we all probably share, everyone on this, on this phone, um, share is what I think keeps you fresh. Because if you constantly look backwards, um, you're not going to be able to move forward and innovate and improve. And so for me, that's, that's really what it's always been about. I've just always been uh, driven to, to challenge myself. And in order to keep myself relevant and fresh, I got to have a sharpened, uh, a sharpened weapon in my toolkit. And in order to do that, you got to stay fresh. So, Dan, one of the areas of opportunity, you know, as I come from more a traditional side of representation, running Lee Steinberg and working with Warren Moon with Sports One Marketing, with some bigger, you know, entities and events and sponsors like Diageo over the years, I'm still intrigued by, you know, myself. And this might be a self-serving question. You know, do you see uh, exponential growth in more of the middle-aged uh, influencer? So, you know, obviously there's middle-aged people like myself that have built brands uh, on TV, radio, and print that are now entering into the digital realm, creating brands, podcasts, digital TV shows, all the things that, you know, I tried with, you know, Gary Vee to be at the forefront of as a middle-aged person, one of the what I call the middle-aged mutant turtle brand. Uh, do you see, you know, because, you know, the beverage industry is cross-cultural, equity-based, and we, we are focused so much that $3.6 billion on, you know, these hype houses. You know, look, there's still a huge market with Joe Rogan, myself, and Tom Bilyeu, and Ed Milet. Uh, where do you see your industry playing with the middle-aged influencers that have a, a different spectrum of an audience that may not want to see Dave Meltzer dancing on TikTok, but will tune into my free trainings and podcasts to, to learn something or build relationships. I love, did we just call Gary mid, middle age? I love that. Let's, let's make that stick. He's 40 something, man. He's middle age. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love, I love that. I have a, a long history with him, obviously. Yeah. And what he used to do for the wine library and a, a great man. By the way, a fantastic question. And I think a lot of times when you think about where marketing and entertainment happens, there's, there can be groupthink, right? And there's the same way you might forget about flyover states, you forget about a high income uh, consumer that exists or audience or eyeball that exists. I think 150% the opportunity um, with the middle age and beyond is monumental. Um, I think just the purchasing power alone, and I think as the adoption of technology continues, and I think COVID only accelerated adoption of all age groups, of all different types of technology, I absolutely think you will continue to see an increase in spend against this segment. And I think you'll continue to see uh, folks that were, would have been considered mainstream uh, crossing over to digital platforms. I mean, Will Smith and what he's been able to do on Facebook uh, and across digital platforms speaks to that in and of itself. Uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck just signed a, a, a scripted sci-fi deal with one of our companies, Portal A, 
who cut their teeth uh, primarily and exclusively in digital content. And so I do believe that you will continue to see um, the audience and demographics spread. And I think you will see the investment follow. And I think, David, in, the, in your case, in your example, you have expertise that, uh, that eight, all different age groups are going to care about. And so when you have something of utility and value to give, it's just a matter of getting yourself out there and building it. And, and then I think the investment will, will follow. And so there's probably a slight lag because it's intimidating to jump into some of these platforms. But, but no doubt you're going to see brand investment. The entertainment investment is already coming and already there. So, so 110%, a very good question. Awesome. You got something left, Mike, before we let him go? No, I'm just really blown away at how he's diversified everything. It's really impressive because so, yeah. so many people get stuck in the corporate and just it's, it's awesome what you give them back and creative. It's just amazing. Well, I think community, I really appreciate that. And Dan, I think, you know, just before I let you go, because I have to reiterate what put me into this space and what and why you probably transitioned <laughs> over that I think out of every aspect of what I've learned from being in the traditional marketing agentry space, entertainment, media is community is king. And, you know, building a community, however long it takes. And I still say, and I talked with our friend Gary about this, you know, People think it takes too long to create a community or it's too expensive. Oh my gosh, if you don't have the counterintuitive intelligence to say, it always takes a while to build a community, to build a brand, but it will never be this inexpensive to build a community than it is today. Four years Great ago, they point. told me it was too expensive. Today, they tell you're making a huge mistake. If you already have an audience and it resonates with people, you know, I, I use Dr. Pimple Popper as my best example because she's a genius. You know, she takes something that's entirely disgusting, but she sticks to her frequency and she has more, you know, engaged followers than the entire Pro Football Hall of Fame, which are all my traditional heroes, the most popular sport in America, even with women two to one. But Dr. Pimple Popper, she knows how to invest in that brand and she's built a community that, you know, goodness is worth so much money. And that's what I think you're doing. And you have so much opportunity to build community beyond the traditional sense of, Hey, people like to drink our stuff. Uh, and that's really what you're doing. Dan, you're doing an incredible job. I look forward to doing more with you, my friend. Let's uh, definitely reach out. Thank you for joining us. Same guys. Take care. Real pleasure. And now I can see why you're a, a professional coach, David. That was good. Yeah, right on, man. Thank you. Take care. Cheers, guys. Take care. Bye. That's well, really good. Un un unfortunately, they, you know, that industry lost two big customers in me and you as we kind of dialed back. <laughs> our, our, <laughs> Massive. Yeah. Oh, my That's God. That's why they diversified. We're like, we haven't got this trunk anymore. We got to do something else. We got to go into these digital platforms. <laughs> They're like, oh, Dave Meltzer and Mike Diamond are friends. There goes half of our income in Hollywood. What? <laughs> so good. So it wasn't good. just the money I was spending on myself. It was when I would get wasted and buy everybody everything. Uh, so <laughs> there's dialogue. Here I am cleaning everyone up in and out of rehab. So like, get rid of this guy. Exactly. Too many people well, are sober. That's amazing. <laughs> so you have good. an incredible guest with a good heart and a good purpose. Uh, I've worked with the Better Business Bureau for years. And uh, Kimberly Rowland is in a specific area that I work at daily, as you know, and so do you, Mike, uh, in innovation in the entrepreneur programs. 
Kimberly, welcome to Office Hours. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's just it's a delight because uh, the two areas in which you focus with the Better Business Bureau, obviously, we're talking about old school thinking and old school brands, innovation and entrepreneur uh programs were not when i was the better business bureau uh, and coming out you know the brand that i thought of you know i thought about a quality stamp of approval when it came to the better business bureau but now uh the diversification and the empowerment that the better business bureau surprise education inspiration and innovation uh within our communities uh which i think is identical to what we we're just talking about is Better Business Bureau had built a big brand and a build community, and now you're doing stuff to empower and help the community beyond protect it. Uh, how did that transition happen, and, and, and where is it at today? Definitely. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's it's really a pleasure to be here with you guys. And I absolutely love anytime I can talk about innovation, entrepreneurship, small business um, with our community, because to your point, it's not necessarily what people think of first off. Uh, first out the gates when they think of BBB and my team is doing everything we can to change people's minds and perceptions and really to move BBB into the 21st century and beyond as a really relevant resource and nonprofit organization that's leading the way with um, entrepreneurs and innovation. So I think the the impetus for it, we've kind of been known as one of the more progressive and forward-looking BBBs in the entire um, system. And we do have BBBs across Canada, um, the United States, and even in Mexico. So we're international association. Um, but our CEO, Matt Failing, has done a great job in Phoenix and now in San Diego and Orange County, really pushing us forward. So he hired me from Arizona State University four years ago now to open a co-working space in Phoenix. So it was this dormant building we had. It was kind of dusty and crusty and musty, as I say. We bought it and it had uh, some cubicles lined up in there and other BBBs around the country. You know, some of them were shrinking their operations and staff size and Matt wanted to grow it and create a space where um, everyday entrepreneurs could really come in and feel like they were welcome because a lot of the co-working spaces in Phoenix and around the country are really tech focused, of course. So if you have like a, a small business where it's, if you're a solopreneur or if you only have a few employees or you're more in the trades or services, you know, you don't necessarily feel like you fit in at some of these other co-working spaces because they're not built for you. So we built in-house um, Ignite Sparked by BBB. We have a location in Central Phoenix, and now we have a location in San Diego. We're very excited, uh, just opened. And it's really a co-working space where everyone is welcome, including people in the nonprofit space as well. We give away free days of co-working for them um, to come and co-work for a cause with us. That's what we call it. So that was kind of the impetus. That was the first desire. And then the second dream was we would build out an incubator and accelerator programming for our business owners. And, you know, it's somewhat self-serving because the hypothesis that we have is if we can help business owners and entrepreneurs as they're starting, if we can help them start legally and ethically and some of the boring stuff that is not as sexy, you know, as some of the other uh, tech incubators, then that actually might help BBB downstream um, in the reduction of complaints over the years. Um, some of the traditional things people think of when they think of BBB. And so we're really trying to instill that sense of ethics and doing things the legal way with our entrepreneurs who are starting up their business. And we're also doing a heavy focus over the last year on um, digital marketing and e-commerce uh, through a great partnership we have with GoDaddy. So I'm happy to talk more about any and all of the above. Amazing. That's just so amazing. Let me ask you a question. When you came out of college, was this 
the desire, like you have so much purpose and you're giving away so much. It's incredible. Was this the, always the desire? Was this something that you, you felt pulling you? How did, how did this all happen? It's incredible what you're doing. It's unbelievable. Thank you, Mike. Um, it's a funny question you should ask. So when I was an undergrad, uh, I always knew I was going to be in the nonprofit sector. And I was also always really interested in the innovation space. So right out of college, I actually worked for Feeding America in Chicago. And uh, then I worked at St. Mary's Food Bank in Phoenix. I'm from Phoenix, a, a, a rare native Phoenician. I'm a desert rat. It's 113 <laughs> here today, you guys. So it is hot. I mean, I'm telling you. So I worked in food banking. I loved it. And I also felt like, you know, as I did work in child nutrition and with um, our senior citizens, the hunger rates were going up. And that was really pretty demoralizing, honestly. And so I felt like so much of what we were doing was just a Band-Aid solution and not really systemically addressing poverty and other issues that we have in this country. And, and that's around the time I was doing my master's program at ASU and ASU has done some amazing innovation work, especially in the last decade. Uh, so I started working in the entrepreneurship and innovation unit in, in Scottsdale at Skysong. And we did a lot with both students as well as faculty and staff who were bringing their technologies to the market. And I worked a lot with um, business owners that were community entrepreneurs on the ASU side. They didn't have to have an affiliation per se. So that's kind of where my love came from. It was a marriage of nonprofits, innovation, and basically the social sector and, and the um, private sector kind of merging. I did a lot of partner management at ASU. Uh, we would bring in large grants and my unit ran like a startup in that we would test and pilot things. We would build things with human-centered design. If it worked, we would scale it up to other units at the university. And if it didn't, we would sunset it. So um, I absolutely love the work I did there. I found a lot of meaning and purpose to it. And then when I got the call from BBB, I was like, yes, this is right up my alley. I love working with the everyday entrepreneurs, the folks that I go like today at lunch, I went to my local burrito shop, I went to my local coffee shop, and my friend is the owner of the coffee shop. Like, I give them my money, so let me help them too. It's totally, it is my passion. So, thanks for recognizing that. Amazing. Last question, real quick, too. Big shout out to Chuck Box. So, you have to go over to the Chuck Box there. <sighs> so good. Oh, that's a classic. And you know what? They have like a sister location really close to where I live in Phoenix. That is like the biggest burger you will ever eat in your life. <laughs> Holy smokes. Like, Oh yeah. crap! You line will not door. leave. Line out the door. Great business. Great entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, my last question is about scaling because you know, obviously, the BBB needed a facelift, uh, both with the digital side of things, being able to you know warrant that moniker and brand of approval of doing business the right way, uh, and you know, being able to have a great place because you know, competition digitally set in because everybody has reviews. Uh, and so it discounted or diminished some of the uniqueness or capacity that the Better Business Bureau had over the decades as I've been in the internet since 1992. What I found fascinating was that your system seems to be a savior uh, in a much better and wiser way to build better business instead of reporting people after they've already put negative practices into place why not inspire and empower businesses to do business the right way? Then we don't have to worry about anything but good reviews because bad habits and good habits, they're formed and they keep repeating themselves. So to build a business utilizing good habits, how supportive is the national BBB to use you as a pilot to institute this 
I know you're doing Southern California as well, but <laughs> I can see this being the savior of what I thought would be a dying or diminishing business. Now, this I can see is a huge asset to every community. Thanks for saying that. So glad this is recorded. We would love to send this out and share this with all, all the BBBs in the system. There's a lot of support, though, to be honest. Um, we have a great new CEO at the International Association of BBBs. He was the CEO of the Columbus Better Business Bureau, one of the more innovative ones as well in the country. And so I think he has a great vision for the future for Better Business Bureau to really be focused on the business owners and the entrepreneurs and inspiring, to your point. That is such a huge piece is being inspirational instead of like leading with the care and Instead of the stick, right? Um, that's really important for us, and that's exactly what my team does. And that's, you know, another takeaway I'd love everyone watching to know is we're a nonprofit organization. I say this a million times a day. People don't realize this. A lot of times, they think we're a government agency. We will always offer the services that we've offered for a hundred and. 10 almost years now to consumers free of charge. We're one of the last and few places you can go that is a nonprofit that is working as a, a trusted and really neutral mediator between the businesses and the consumers. So that is a service that won't go away. However, to your point, if we can help and inspire doing business in a better, more ethical way up front, then we can celebrate those successes and wins of entrepreneurs and be more focused on helping scale up small businesses, upskill their workforce, help them be able to do business in the 21st century, bring some of them who are still not fully online online, which we've done a lot of in the last year. So that's important. I think we have a lot of support and there's a ton of CEOs um, at other BBBs across the country that are interested in what we're doing and, and may try and pilot or spin off what we're doing. But yeah, we're happy to be the leader. It feels awesome to kind of set the pace and be able to help strategize and share the vision of what we can be and all that we can do to serve our entrepreneurs. So I'm very excited and so grateful for the support of yeah our CEO and Kip at the national level who has brought in some great people, by the way. So there's there's more excitement coming from the national and international level of BBB in the months and year to come, I think. Um, but there's some other BBBs doing great work as well. And uh, just partnering more with them and, and taking it to scale is important. That's kind of a focus of mine for the next step because we have this great free online um, incubator that's self-paced, basically a massive online open course called Blueprint. And we have our uh, Main Street Accelerator. We just graduated 40 business owners from that. And we noticed that they all had an increase in revenue over the past year. That's insane. That's pretty good for for their various industries. Um, so that's the kind of progress we're looking for is business growth, bringing in more money and hiring more people. Let's do it. You can do it. And we are so proud of you. And what a great day of re-engineering and rethinking some traditional ways of doing business, which just creates more opportunity. And uh, thank you so much for what you do and bringing new light uh, to an old school. And I look forward to sharing some Chuck Box with you when I come out to Phoenix. I'm there all the time and happy to do any uh, speaking or coaching that's necessary to help those businesses. So just reach out to me anytime, okay? Thank you so much. I would love to take you up on that. And I want a burger now, so let's do it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have oh, a great awesome. day. Bye. Check it out. Thank Everybody you. knows the Better Business Bureau and our friend Kimberly Rowland with Innovation and Entrepreneurship, changing the face of bbbcommunity.org. Uh, all right, my friend, real quick, because I got to go do a meetup, which I was hoping you'd come to my new office, but I'll be here next Thursday. Where uh, are you located? Where is SoFi, it? man, at the stadium, Inglewood.
Oh, Inglewood. Oh, I didn't. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll I be up. Hey, but I'll be up. Ago. I'll be up with you Wednesday night. I got uh, Wiz Khalifa. I'm speaking up uh, right by you, and then Thursday we'll be back at the office here at SoFi before I go to Indianapolis to speak at summer camp. Anyway, takeaway for the day: make sure you catch up with me, Mister D. Okay, community. Right. Be good to the community. Uh, be involved with the community, and bring service to the community. Do you know what I'm saying? It was all about community. Yeah. I loved what everyone. I'm I'm now working on a pilot program in um in a school in Venice, ninety kids that are at this continuation school with a nonprofit writing a twelve week program. And the first thing that they asked me is like, "Why are you doing it?" I'm like, "Well, I'm, someone's got to do it." Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to help these kids. So to me, it was all about community, and I really resonate. It was amazing today. Yeah, yeah, you know, you I didn't even think about the way all three, Jeff Webb, Dan Sanborn, and uh, of course, Kimberly was obvious, BBB community, but um, I didn't even think about that. You know, it's funny because I wake up uh, with different messages, downloads, and mine today was small minds think of things, big minds think of big ideas. And uh, that's my takeaway that applied. Here I am at the end of the day before I go to my meetup, and... Jeff Webb, rethinking, like big idea, man. In 1970s, early, big idea. Dan Sanborn sitting, he could have been cushed in a highly paid, highly fun job. You, you know Diageo. So that guy's living life after 16 years. And, and of course, Kimberly coming out with an old school, you know, completely traditional you know, foundation charity. And all three, in my mind, they're just big minds. And so I want to attract more big minds, big ideas. Remember, small minds think of things. Big minds come up with big ideas. And that's my takeaway for the day. You're a man of big ideas. You're a man of a bigger heart, though, which is why I love you. I will see you next week. I'm going to Chicago. I mean, I got Keno and Mike Tyson. And then I'm going to New York to move Marissa into New York. When I get back, you and I will get together uh, next week. Thank you, Mr. D. Love you, mate. Safe travels. Diamond Life Fuel, check him out. It's probably the best product that I use. Uh, check me out, David at dmelzer.com. Most importantly, everyone, come join us at SoFi for a meetup. We got our podcast studio office, et cetera. Come check out the incredible stadium. Uh, it's probably the nicest one I've ever been in. Incredibly, thank you to all the people uh, at the SoFi Stadium and the Rams uh, for having us. We are just delighted to partner with you and to be a part of this incredible experience. Uh, anyway, you guys know the drill. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Peace. <laughs>